This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, you know about places, right? I've been there. You've them. been places? Well, what would you do if I told you that you could have a place on the internet? How would I get there? No, how would I build it? How would you build You would build it using Squarespace, who makes a very good website building tool and service. Squarespace ah. is one of our sponsors this week. As it happens. As it happens. <laughs> Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you beautiful templates, drag and drop tools, and all kinds of stuff you need to make your place on the web really feel like your place on the web, you know? Yeah, I don't want to feel like anybody else's. I want people to come to my web space and know that (laughs) Craig made it. Craig's website. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, when when you make Craig's website... Here's some of the cool features you can avail yourself of. Squarespace will help you with your email campaigns, grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns, create beautiful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo. You know, Craig, your logo? Craig's logo. Uh, So your messaging is consistent and effective. Uh, You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. And you can use analytics to gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your Craig-branded content. Mm, Good to know how many Craigs are viewing the Craig site. Mm -hmm, Yeah, page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. I assume whether they're named Craig or not is included in that and more bit at the end. I. Maybe not because of like data. <laughs> I do like though. Yeah, GDPR. I guess you know? based on audience geography, I could mm-hmm. know what real place they're visiting my web space from. Yeah, that's yeah, neat. Really blows your mind. Huh. So if you want to make a space on the web just for yourself, not go to me. Squarespace. Don't, don't make Craig Space. Well, that's if you're mine. Craig, you can make a yeah. Squarespace.com/slash overdue. <laughs> to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, that's again, squarespace.com slash overdue. Get your free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Craig Place. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we are coming at you with another episode about a book. Every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before, and we tell the other person about it. And it's a rip-roaring good time. A good Loved, time is had by all. I have ripped. I have roared. I'm ready for a good time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to wait. Andrew, tell me about the book. What book did you read? The book I read this week for our podcast is Black Buck by Matteo Ascaripor. Where did you find this book? Some list of books. Of <laughs> yeah, good it's, books a, that came. it's a recent release, and we do those occasionally, and it's the answer is usually, here are some good books that came out. <laughs> yeah, I really, especially like when we're doing, like uh, when we know that we've read too many dude books or too many white books or we're trying to program like a like yeah. Black history month or something a lot of the time it's helpful just to search for lists of books by women or books by authors of color just you know and then actually go read them yeah and actually actually go read them but like it's just it's a good uh, repository of many different kinds of books and and i always like finding one where the blurb makes it sound like a good fit for the show's vibe <laughs> 
and yeah. this really sounded so, like that. Like, so, like, we can talk about Ascaraporn a second. This is his debut novel. So, like, what about the pitch? What is the pitch of this novel, Andrew, and why did it grab you? It is about a, uh, a young black man who's working at a Starbucks when he is sort of plucked from obscurity and absorbed into this fast-paced startup the startup. Okay. And he becomes a salesperson in that startup, and his entire life changes. And it's, it's, it is both a commentary on being black in a predominantly white workplace and also a satire about the absurdities of startup culture. Which I think that latter part really appeals to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, both of them are, are things I like reading about. One of them is something I have uh, obviously more direct experience with. Sure, but, sure. But yeah, it sounded... It's, I, sometimes I think when we do a Black History Month, we can sometimes the selections get a little heavy and I wanted to do something that was, you know, still like black comedy still dealing with race in America, but also like more overtly trying to trying to be funny and to send up some other stuff as well. And so. it, yeah. And a contemporary book by a contemporary yeah, author, which is not always sure. what we are up to. So mm-hmm. um, that's why sometimes we do a book and it's like, well, is that a book that you, me, the listener have been meaning to read? And we're here to tell you, you have been meaning to read this one, even if you didn't know. That's what I say. Yep. Uh, or maybe that's what Andrew says. We're your book bosses now, and we tell you you've been meaning to read this one. I am the book boss. Book boss. I don't book like boss. that. I makes me. I simultaneously want to be the book boss, and I'm like recoiling at the idea of being a book boss. Book boss, baby. So Mateo Scarpor is like 30 years old. I think. Um, yeah. I read an interview that from last year that said he was 29. So I'm just extrapolating that he's 30 or maybe he's just 29 forever 29 like the store no (laughs) it's the eighth sequel to the real store um Mm -hmm. he has written for lit hub electric lit the rumpus uh grew up in long island son of uh jamaican mother and an iranian father uh there's at least one or two interviews where he talks about this growing up more connected to his jamaican heritage his maternal grandmother lived in his house and did not feel very connected to his Iranian uh, family. It was not really talked about. He moved to New York City uh, from the island for college and then moved to a neighborhood in Brooklyn, which I think features in this book. Um, is that the Bedford Stuyvesant? Bedsty, yes. Okay, Bed. Is that what Bedsty is? Yeah, that's what Bedsty is. Man. <laughs> I feel like I know the, down here and down here in Philly, you, you don't really like learning a lot of stuff about well, the city. Now that we're out of the 2010s, I feel like we don't talk about Brooklyn as much. And it's not to slight I Brooklyn. I think it's just as uh, no, I, I'll slight Brooklyn. Okay. I think it's just as well. Okay, sure. I just Philly's feel like better. Philly's uh, there were a lot of Brooklyn. Brooklyn takes in the 2010s. I just, want, I just want social engagement. So, yeah, Philly's better than Brooklyn. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Don't at me. Does Brooklyn have gritty? Does Brooklyn have cheesesteaks? Did Brooklyn stop the rise of the machines when they when we like that time we killed that hitchhiking robot? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> also, don't come to Philly. <laughs> You're raising our housing prices. Um, <laughs> no, I don't care. Come here, hang out. It'd be cool. Uh, yeah, definitely come to Philly and put down cash for a house so nobody else can buy one. Wow, this, this is, is a really, really loose hyper- open. <laughs> Uh, so the the thing that is most relevant to this novel, perhaps from a, a scar a scary poor's background, um, is that 
after he went to college, he worked at this place called Grovo in New York, worked in sales. Um, it has a like training, like a corporate training and micro learning platform. I learned what the word micro micro learning. Yeah, it's for, it's for the tiny little learning. It's very like task focused learning, uh, like training things that are not just about like you know corporate environment or bigger professional development, but it's like really like how am I going to do this thing for the job that I work at kind of stuff. Um, and he told the LA Times. He kind of he burned out in this sales position in his mid to late twenties. Uh, he had, was very successful and was making six figures and was managing a whole team of people. And he told the LA Times, "You're not curing cancer, but you're supposed to feel as though you are, just because you're hitting your sales goal." Uh, which I think is kind of an alienation effect that a lot of us have experienced at many times in our lives. Um, and then he left his job in 2016. He wrote and shelved two novels before starting Black Buck in 2018. Yeah, he talks in a sort of, I'm not sure when you get a little interview in the back of a book like this, who the person who the asking the question the like, I don't is. Yeah. It's a very different vibe if he's like answering his own questions versus if his like editor is <laughs> asking him the questions. But, uh, but yeah, says, you know, he, d- he didn't shelve those novels for lack of, trying like he he got a lot of rejection letters for those books yep and then talks about how he read stephen king's on writing and then he acknowledges that that's a cliche but it did help (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah the year that he wrote this was the year he also read that he said he read like 60 books in 2018 when he wrote most of this yeah he's got this interesting energy and i'd be interested to know how much of it comes through in the book but in a lot of the interviews you know he talks about like He's a salesman. He does, even though he kind of burned out in the industry he was in, he does believe that communicating effectively and knowing what you are communicating is very important. And so in all of his interviews, he does seem like very self-aware about the fact that he is like, I'm selling you my book right now. I'm selling Mm -hmm. you a version of myself. It includes this part where I talk about Stephen King. Let me talk about Stephen King. It includes this part where I tell you that I didn't know what to write, so I read like five dozen books, so I learned what good books were. Um, And he also talks about how much he loved to pitch publishers on his novels like he is very interested in that process as well um and then he did tell he told the rumpus uh that when he came up with the idea for this book it was originally like perhaps a little more radical it had like a i i noted it as maybe like a fight clubby vibe there was supposed to be (laughs) a radical terrorist group of black salespeople that like ultimately enacted violence on a whole bunch of different organizations and he kind of took that out and maybe took some of that satire out and there are remainders this. of that left yeah. here but yeah he he did and, and he says in a couple places that like the parts of this book that are about salesmanship are are can be satirical but they also have grains of earnest advice to them um and that's him speaking as someone who thinks that people need to know how to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be, you know, that's my question overall for you for the book is like, where does it feel like it is 
sending stuff up and where does it feel like it is like just kind of living in the heart of something and yeah can you can you pull those apart at all i don't know yeah scarepore says again in this little interview with himself in the back of the book, <laughs> he says um that he didn't intend it to be satirical initially Sure. Um, he says, in fact, before people started telling me it was satirical, I treated it as an earnest piece of work. I've discovered that it's both earnest and satirical, and I've had to learn how to hold both true truths. Uh, with that said, I'm proud to call the book an earnest work containing satirical elements. It's when people start labeling the book as absurdist that I start to feel strange. Mm. I'm no data scientist, but I do like patterns, and I'm beginning to see that the further removed from the black American experience someone is, the more they perceive this book to be full of absurdity. <laughs> Sure, sure. Uh, a handful of event scenes and people definitely are, but I challenge people to reconsider what is absurd, especially if it's far outside the scope of their own realities. Hmm. Okay. So that's where this book came from. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I guess we're going to talk about it in a second. Yeah, got to take a break though first, right? Yeah, that's why I said in a second. But yeah, we got to like take a, a minute take- and a half. We gotta take a break so we can uh, so we can do some sales. Aw, oh, dip. See you there. There we go. Okay, bye. Wee 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 wee. The sponsor truck is backing up, Andrew. Oh, we have a new a, sponsor. It has a siren instead of like a beep. That's very wee, loud. It's British. It's wee <laughs> Boy, wee. Okay. Here it is. Uh-huh. Uh, it's our spot. It's our other sponsor this week. It's BetterHelp. Well, look at that all stacked up in the back of the truck. Yeah, I'm unloading the truck, and it's a bunch of signs that say, talking to someone is good. Like, talking to people about your problems, it can be helpful to you. And that's why uh, Andrew and Craig should tell their listeners about our sponsor, uh, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. Uh, It also says on this package that BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Uh, this box has a little card that says you can send a message to your counselor at any time, and you can schedule weekly sessions over video or on your phone. You don't I'm have to finding, use video. I'm finding the way that this was packaged to be a little uh, environmentally questionable, but yeah, it, I mean the information is good, so I, I don't want to. It's got it's all got the little symbols on the bottom. I do fear that like I might have to separate it and send it to different recycling facilities. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's maybe that's not. I mean, BetterHelp probably hired the sponsor truck, so like, whatever. Um, better this other sheet of plastic that is definitely not bi- biodegradable says it's affordable. BetterHelp is financial aid is available, and the service is available to clients worldwide. Um, Andrew, I'm going to send the truck away, but I do want our listeners to start living a happier life today. As listeners, they'll get 10 percent off their first month. By visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com slash Overdue. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overdue. And that, uh, that URL gets you a truckload of savings. Wee-oo, wee-oo, wee-oo. The day that changed my life was like every other day before it, except that it changed my life. Whoa. This is the first book? line of this is the first line of the first chapter. Heck yeah, let's go. I always, I always like I had a, a PF Kluga friend of the show, <laughs> friend of the pod. PF sure, w- one pod friend writer, Kluga, one time writer in residence at our at alma our mater, and I think we've read at least one of his books for the yeah. show. But he said once that he could tell if a book was going to be good by whether the first line was good. And I don't know if that's universally true, but it, it has stuck with me in the one class that I took of his, 
and I didn't do most of the reading for that class, but I did I th- some of the podcast, reading. The foundation of our podcast is you not doing the assigned reading. I did some of the reading for his class, and <laughs> one of the books had a really good first sentence. I don't remember what that sentence was. That's This is an amazing anecdote, and I'm really glad that you brought it to I just me. want to talk about pod friend Kluga some more. Pod friend Kluga. <laughs> Uh, so this, so that's the first line of the first chapter. The book does begin with a uh, author's note, which is written not by the author who we just by talked the, about, but, but by, by the, the character, character okay. who is in the book. So this is a book that uh, Darren, whose name also is Buck, okay, is writing to us. The circumstances under which he's writing are kept mysterious until toward the end. So just think <laughs> about that. But he's talking about how. Uh, the, the first, first line is there's nothing like a black man on a mission. No, let me revise that. There's nothing like a black salesman on a mission. Ooh. MLK, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and Frederick Douglass were all salesmen. Uh, Nina Simone, Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman, and every other black woman who achieved any leap of success was a saleswoman. Oprah, hide a BMW under your seat. Winfrey was, is a saleswoman. Uh, you get the point. Each and every one of these people was selling something more precious than gold, a vision, a vision for what the world could look like if millions of people were to change their minds, the hardest thing to change. Uh, so, yeah, it's it is written as a. It's a it's an account of this, uh, uh, you know, a period of this guy's life, but it's also pitched as a guide for how to sell stuff. Okay. And so throughout the book, you get these little bits that are sort of indented and, and offset from the rest of the text that, you know, I'll start reader colon. He's addressing the reader directly and making sure that you're paying attention to the good sales tips. Okay. Including things like the quality of an answer is determined by the quality of the question. Huh? Uh, and all kinds of other stuff. Something that uh, comes for, so this is from the LA times article. It's an interview with him by Stuart Miller. Uh, scary poor sincerity comes through in conversation. He'll respond to a question by saying, I've got four thoughts on that. He earnestly <laughs> hopes the book provides practical help. The sales tips Darren intersperses throughout his story, which might in another book be mistaken for anti-capitalist parody, are meant to be genuine. Does it come across that way in your read, Andrew? Like, I, I mean, it's, it does, and it's partly because... A lot of these are like sales or, or truisms that I've that I've heard before. Like the sure. quality of the answer is determined by the quality of the question thing is one of those things that you hear for the first time and then you start seeing it everywhere. I don't there's yeah. a term for that, but is it, it's, it's it's like a maxim or it's not a tautology. No, tautology is when a thing is a thing. Because it's a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's sort of an axiom. There's a there's a specific word for it. We're not anywhere close to it, so let's move on. But it's a spoonerism. Is it a spoonerism? Is a spoonerism like a made up thing? No, that's like a a, that's me joking because I know it's not a spoonerism. My God, a Yogi Berraism. You are not helping. <laughs> anyway, that even though you could read them as parodical, mm-hmm. it does not necessarily feel that way because yes, you know right. these to be true, or many yeah. of them to be true. Okay. Well, and, and they are all. In they they are all given to you at points in the story where they are relevant for some reason. Like it's two characters interacting with each other, and one of them is about to do a one weird sales trick to the other one, and and Darren slash Buck is calling your attention to it, so you absorb the lesson that is intended to be imparted. Cool. Uh, So Darren lives in Bedsty, as we talked about, Uh, not in Philly, which would have been cooler, but Bedsty is fine, I guess. Um, with his mom, his, his dad, uh, passed away many, several years before. So it's just him and his mom. 
Um, his mom works in a, I, I, it's just like a chemical plant or something. Like she, okay. she breathes in a lot of chlorine. Mm. Uh, she just kind of works in a factory setting. That's kind of abrasive and, and hard on her physically. Okay. Okay. Um, and he's got a girlfriend and he's got an old man downstairs neighbor who's sort of like a grandfather to him. And he's got his job at Starbucks where he runs the place and is very competent and he's in charge and everybody looks up to him and he's just like very, very charismatic and, and well loved by many people in his life. And one day that life is turned upside down when a, a high powered white businessman walks into the Starbucks and tries to order something, and Darren, for reasons that are not 100% clear even to him, uh-huh. says, you don't want what you just ordered. I can tell you know, you, I can tell things about you because you're in here all the time, and you seem stressed out, and you're on the phone. I think you're going to want this thing instead. It's got a little less sugar, a little more caffeine, and I guarantee you're going to like it. And the businessman, whose name is Rhett, uh, says did you just did you just sell me did you just pitch me his coffee <laughs> and he's very impressed by darren's whole approach okay and so the so let me talk about darren's family in the first part of this book because what, what happens to darren is he he gets swept up into this uh startup that is in the same building as the you know it's higher up on the same building as the starbucks the starbucks is one of those like built into the ground floor of a skyscraper mixed use sort of commercial space sure yes uh and the startup culture is very very startup like very cultish very extremely white and trying to disrupt something the thing that's being (laughs) disrupted in this in this case and i ask that we refrain from identifying any services we might be aware of that sound kind of similar to this one yeah is it is a uh, it's called someone s-u-m-w-u-n uh-huh uh, and it is uh internet-based therapy but targeted mostly at companies like it is companies who want to bring on therapists uh, to talk to the people in their workforce so they can be like happier and more productive uh-huh. so it's both like predatory and capitalist but also like maybe there's some maybe there's a good aim in there also so he he told one of the interviewers i think this was back in the rumpus interview he said he had ideas for a company like this in 2012 should have done it well he said he was just kind of walking around in the east village (laughs) talking about it oh is that in uh is that in new york i am i (laughs) i think so Mm. by little Mm. italy Mm mm-hmm is it near Little Italy? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I only know Philly, which is a better city. Yeah. It's worth learning more about. For all I know, Bed-Stuy is where Madison Square Garden is. I really have no idea. It's um, it's right. It's like you come out of Penn Station and Bed-Stuy is right there. Oh, that makes sense. my understanding. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because like Bed-Stuy, Broadway, they sort of sound the same. It's like the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the same number of syllables. They start with the same letter. Yeah. Okay. Seems pretty small <laughs> for a city, if you ask it's me. It's only in New York. He said that he had this idea um, and come up with like ways to reach different types of people. He says like uh, it could be kind of like Uber, where you would like match people with time and stuff. And then in twenty, by the time he left his job in twenty sixteen, other services had already moved into that space. So he was like, "Well, I guess I didn't get there in time." And then he started writing this book and was like, "Well, I could probably still riff on this idea. I've I've thought it through enough. 
uh, so why don't I just put it in my book? Which is interesting that he like what you just said. It sounds like he had a real germ of an idea for what this project would be. But then when it wasn't going to be a thing, he was like, what if I could also send it up at the same time? Yeah. Well, and it's I think that the template of it, even even if the whether the service ex- itself exists in exactly this form in the, in the real world or not, the template is a familiar one, right? Like it has a name that is just a word, but it's spelled stupid for SEO purposes. Well, yes. So, so you can actually Google it. Yeah. Uh, and then it uh, is aiming to do a thing that already exists, but like better and presumably cheaper. Yeah. And it's also leveraging the incredible power of the internet. Love and those to are the leverage. three big, those are the three big startup things is what if the, if the information superhighway <laughs> is better than the non-internet version Yeah, and it has a regular name that's spelled stupid. Well, and, and the modern ver well, I guess, God, now we're moving into weird web 3.0 stuff in the real world. But the like when this book, <sighs> was ri- I don't even want to talk about that. But the like, yeah, that's what NFT stands for is not freaking talking about it. <laughs> uh, but like the, you know, 2010s version of like, oh, we've got this app that connects you with a person doing the gig version of this thing that mm-hmm. was a profession before. Yeah. Not, to, not to demean the labor, but it was a like more traditional career before, and now people are just kind of doing it to make a buck. It's been disrupted, um, Craig. It has. It's been disrupted. Yes, I'm familiar. So, okay, so he, he gets wrapped up in this startup culture, but you said you wanted to talk about his family? Yeah, so he, he becomes wrapped up in this startup culture. His whole his whole life, his mom and and the people around him have been telling him you know you're you're destined for bigger things you're you know you have all this potential and i just want you know they they, his life is happy and better than most and pretty stable but there is a sort of implied understanding among everybody in his life that like you know running a starbucks is is not what his full potential is okay and i say that not to that is what these characters believe. That is that is what these characters are saying. Sure. And I think that, you know, that's I think that is a commonly held view among many people is that, you know, service work is, you know, you could do better than that. And I think there's also I have certainly come around to the idea that one of the ways in which you can talk about that without demeaning the labor that goes into it is mm-hmm. to just talk about the corporate structure yeah. and how exploitative that can be. And so, you know, in Philly right now, it's a pretty good city. Oh, Philadelphia? Um, we've got a few... The Keystone State? We've It's a commonwealth, actually. <laughs> oh, we've got a few... St- <laughs> we've got a few okay, Starbucks... I can, never run, I can never run for statewide office in Pennsylvania <laughs> now. <laughs> we've got a few Starbucks uh, branches in our city that are unionizing. As part of the like the national movement, I think among a, mu- a bunch of them to uh, unionize. So it's just like I think you're right, Andrew. This is a commonly long t- long held belief in America. This kind of like, oh, you're too good for flipping burgers. You should do something better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're too good to manage this like service uh, business. And well, and if, yet- there, and if there's one thing that the pandemic has exposed, it's like the 
foundational role of of service workers yeah. in American society. Yep. You know, yep. like yep. Um, so it's just a weird. It's I I get it, and I also get that these characters think that way. Anyway, his family yeah. has opinions about this. Yeah, and so he, you know, he is been approached by this high power guy with a you know a, a big time job and a business card, and he's feeling weird about it. And he doesn't want to go and do it, and his, his the people his the loved ones in his life sort of control him into it, and so he goes, and the whole process starts with this thing called Hell Week, where you are put in a room with somebody who's a real jerk and you have to like practice like a lot of it is role play, like just practicing selling to people, like keeping them on the phone, establishing some kind of connection, like really hard sell Mm. telemarketing type stuff. Sure. Um, Cause that is the the role that, that Darren is going into. You can tell it's a toxic startup because one person's voice cracks when he's asked to introduce himself and like, a hundred people laugh him out of the the room and you never see him again. Oh, neat. Cool. <laughs> and then another guy has a real name, but everybody calls him Frodo because he loves the Lord of the Rings and he sort of looks like a hobbit. And Darren's name is, Darren's nickname is Buck uh, because he came from the Starbucks. But then there are also other like alternate interpretations nice. of the name that come up later on. But it's all very, yeah, all very culty, all very about like work is life, raise your identity, become a, become a drone at our incredible startup where we're going to change the world. Like now something listen. that, something that Skyrapport does that is, he does a couple things that he doesn't like draw attention to, but if you're sort of steeped in this kind of thing, you'll appreciate like he has Rhett say to Darren, do you want to sell caffeinated water? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Which is a paraphrase of a thing that Steve Jobs said to, Huh. Um, to to somebody when he was trying to bring him on as the CEO of Apple at the time, and this ah. was, and I, ironically, the same person would go on to <laughs> to help oust Steve Jobs from the company <laughs> <laughs> later on, I believe. But like, <laughs> but I just I thought it was a clever use of that. Like, that of course, of every every startup VC high power guy is going to, is going to think secretly or overtly in the case of like your Elizabeth Holmes that they are the next Steve jobs. And so yeah. of course they're going to, Oh, you are selling caffeinated water. This is such a, I have something for this. Let yeah. Me, let sure. Me use this line on you. That's funny. I, I was um, just thinking about the nicknames thing. We're like, I love a good nickname. Love a good nickname. Yeah. The tank. That's you. Why because of your you, drinking Why prowess. did you put that on this podcast? Well, I'm just, you meant brought up nicknames, and I was just thinking of the one nickname that you have that Jeez. everybody calls you. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> I was thinking about what how cool it is to have a nickname come up organically between friends mm-hmm. versus nicknames imposed in a workplace mm-hmm. and how that can, like, what it sounds like is going on with Darren or with Frodo. I don't know his real name. Frodo is, like, is the other guy. Yeah, well, Glock no. Oh, yes. Okay, yes, sure, go ahead. That, go ahead. like, sorry, sorry. the workplace imposes the identity on you, mm-hmm. um, and certainly that carries extra weight when uh, Darren is the only black person in the office. Like, that is certainly a different gonna gonna affect him or could affect him differently i don't know if it does yeah well i mean you, you might be surprised to learn that this entire hell week process is, is run by an extremely racist dude oh 
uh, who singles Buck out and is specifically horrible to him. It sounds like the process is pretty bad for everybody. Like the, the entire point of it is to make people sort of demean themselves a little bit to like, get them to just like go along with stuff to, to make them, to get them used to like subordinating their needs to, to what the organization needs. Like mm. if, if you push back on any of this stuff, you're not a team player and you're not, you're not cut out for this is the, is the overwhelming sentiment. But yeah, Buck is, is specifically, uh, imposed upon by this guy whose name is Clyde, which is like the most evil white guy name you Man. could think of. And I think it's great. Um, so, I'm so far away from the point I wanted to make about his family in the beginning of this book. So he gets this job and he gets sucked up into startup culture and he's having to do a lot of stuff that he is very not proud of, but he's trying to, you know, he's trying to do it for his mom. He has the, I think the typical or atypical like individualist view of like what being strong is, which is like, you know, you suck it up and you, you power through. Sure. Um, And everybody in his family is like happy for him to pursue this opportunity. But then most of what these characters exist to do in the early part of the book is to tell him, you better not forget who you are. You better not let this change you as a person. I bet it does. (laughs) And then it does. (laughs) And some of the, some of the characters become more of a thing later, but a lot of them are just sort of plot devices. So the, so the broad arc of the book is Darren gets sucked up in this organization. He's nicknamed Buck. And then he sort of becomes Buck because you wear the mask and then you forget what your real face looks like or whatever mm. the thing is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he, so, you know, he, he, what? That's the phrase. You forget whatever you were or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Your face turns into the mask or your mask is the face. I was born in the mask. Was that the phrase? <laughs> so moke. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he, so he becomes Buck. He becomes alienated from everybody in his life before, including his mom. Uh, there's this tension where he, his mom owns the house they live in, which mm. is, I mean, I don't know a ton about New York cause it just doesn't seem like a place that you'd want to know a lot about, but yeah, my understanding is that real estate is, is complicated there. And in m- much like in other better cities, uh-huh. uh, elsewhere in, in the country, yeah, some of them only uh, two hours away. Some yeah. of them only two hours away and accessible by car and train. Yeah. Um, property values are pretty high. And gentrification is a problem. And gentrification is rampant. And yeah. so, uh, you know, the people who, have, who even people who own their houses, who've lived in areas for a long time, often end up getting priced out because as home values go up, the property taxes also go up. Yeah. And... You know, cities have things t- that mitigate that somewhat, but they rarely keep pace with the the rate at re- which the values are going up. And so, you know, Darren and, and his mom and everybody, like, they, they own this house. They're proud of owning it. But there is this, you know, his mom has sort of flirted with the idea of, of selling it. Like, they basically get approached by one of those jerkos who goes around to your door and puts, a like, a cash for houses yeah. thing on your doorknob. And he makes his mom promise that she's never going to sell. And then she, he comes home from some bender because his work is changing him and she is selling the house Mm -hmm. and he yells at her and is very upset at her. And then he breaks his phone and then 
she dies. What? Because like right she's been there. She's been, or no, just... she's been. She's while he is out of while while he is incommunicado, an illness that she's had. You know, burning at a low boil. Go. Yep. You know, mixed, yep. I, I don't know what my metaphor is, but that's uh-huh. been burbling away in the background of this book for the for first third of it. Okay. Uh, but now he's absent, and so it he, comes home yeah. to roost, and, and yeah, so he his mom dies, and the last thing he did was scream at her about something. And then also the the old man who lives downstairs, who was like a grandfather to him, kept her illness from him because she didn't want him to know. Oh, so so Darren kicks him out of the house too. Ah, Darren. And then his girlfriend is like, "You're being a real jerk," and he's like, Just "Get out of here! I don't like it. I don't like you. <laughs> I don't like being told I'm Why a jerk." But everybody's against me. Sure, haters. Uh, can't yeah, live with haters. them. I had God, I hate that. I oh, those haters that got me again. So he, you know, he becomes, and at the same time, there's a thing happening at someone. Um, that's the name of the company. I forgot. That's the name of the oh, company. Geez. Yep, yeah, because it's spelled stupid, and yeah. I can't. But I can't. I can only say it kind of stupid to draw attention to how stupid it's spelled. <laughs> but there's like a PR crisis, and is the one black person at the at the company oh, who is neat. brought on Great. with Rhett to national news awesome. to make the company look better. Cool. And this sort of catapults him to a sort of internal and and also slightly external fame because you know he he is quick on his feet he he is able to perform well in these high stress situations and so he becomes a you know he's a rising star at someone mm. uh and the book does a couple time jumps like there there after the stuff with his mom happens there's a bit of a time jump where he is sort of at the peak of his career you know he's doing he's he's drinking he's doing cocaine he's but he's still succeeding. He's still closing the deals. He's still doing. A, Is it like still a, giving us like fun salesy advice at this oh, yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the whole thing. Okay, okay. But I'm just trying to like get. No, no, the no. High no. I, I just wanted stuff. to make sure that there was not a break from that. Sure. No, no. There's not. It's it's yeah. It it is being delivered from the perspective of somebody who all this has happened to already, and so there. You know, he is able to. Oh yes, that's right. Okay, Buck as the author of the book that we are reading, and I I call him Buck because he calls him. He begins calling himself Buck. He signs the author's note Buck. Like Buck is the, a name uh, that he sure. takes okay. for himself. So it's not a yeah, sure. Fair the enough. Darren versus Buck tension is is there in the early part of the book, but then he sort of embraces and then later sort of subverts it. Okay, cool, cool. But um, so he is he is distant from everybody who he used to be close to in his neighborhood but he's doing well at work by the twisted standards of of startup culture which is mostly just like numbers go up yeah yep and anything that makes numbers go up is fine and anything that threatens numbers go up is bad yeah <laughs> i've i've played idle games before numbers yeah, go you, up you get the get the cookie clicker numbers go up numbers go up paper Candy clips box? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh but then he, you know, so so he he comes back around. He remembers his roots. This mm. happens in the form of like uh, one of his former employees at the Starbucks. He starts trying to like teach him how to 
do sales and then this person like brings another person into the circle and then that person brings another couple of people and suddenly he's running this sort of underground sales training thing for people of color oh. and using his position it's there, there are a couple of little things where like he he is feeling protective of, of this guy who he used to work with he has this uh driver named chauncey who he is selfishly making him drive him around at midnight and then chauncey just like casually drops that it had been his daughter's birthday up until seven minutes ago and he missed it and so there's just a couple of these little moments where buck is is like oh uh maybe i should be taking better care of people and they sort of help him reconnect with the person he was insofar as he becomes more interested in, in helping elevate other using his success to help elevate other people of color. Sure. Sure. Workplace and more, more generally. So they, they, they make this entire organization called the happy campers who are this, like it becomes a worldwide sort of network of people who, exploit the work culture at overwhelmingly white workplaces. Like, so, so you will, there will be a person of color at a, at a company like high up. And so you as a happy camper person will be brought along on this like sales call and you get put in the room with the other person of color because, you know, they just, they just want, they want the the person at this company to be comfortable around you. Yeah, you know they want you to feel yeah. like you can be yourself. And and they have a whole like, how are you doing? And and the one person says, oh, I'm happy as a camper. And it's this whole like you know like secret the, handshake stuff. Yeah, secret handshake stuff. And they the, it's a network that like you know builds builds on itself and everybody supports each other. And of course generates an inevitable backlash. Oh, uh, staged mostly by Clyde, who was like there was a point where Darren Buck's rising star eclipses Clyde's power at this company. And he's like, Rhett, you got to choose, you got to choose Buck or me. You, this thug doesn't even have a college education. Like he's oh, an cool. interloper. He can't like, it's all, it gets, it's very explicitly like coded. It's very mask off. Yeah. Yeah. Face off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it, and this, I would not say absurdist. I would say heightened for dramatic effect. Okay. Where these two different organizations, one that is all white people talking about how cool it is to be, how it's okay to be white. And, you know, these happy camper people are racist because they won't let white people in. It's, it's, I don't say absurdist because this literally this happens. Is real. Yeah. Yeah. But also people in this organization are like kidnapping and waterboarding each other and stuff. So like, oh. I, like I don't, I think that is maybe a little, I didn't know that it went that far. Okay. Just, just in one instance, but, but yeah. <laughs> oh, just a little, just a little waterboarding, just a, a little bit as a treat, you know, a um, little bit so that you can never travel to Europe again. Just a skosh yeah. of waterboarding. Okay, sure. A sousson. <laughs> Jeez, a pinch. <laughs> Christ. Woo, loose Our country's ep- made mistakes. Loose That's... episode today. I got to laugh at the bad stuff. It's really where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's that's I think that's where a lot of us are here in 2022. Uh sequel to 2020. And yeah, man, the third sequel to 2020. I'm tired of this franchise. Yeah, it's really <laughs> I do a not like it. <laughs> um 
And and so you and so I, I mentioned you know you hear from Buck the author of the book Buck the narrator occasionally yeah. you get these time jumps occasionally it becomes clear uh, for the last quarter of the book that Buck is he's he's said oh you know you want to know how I got from the from being the barista at a Starbucks living in Bedsty to being on the whatever floor of this hundred year old building like it's very like. You know how I succeeded in sales? Well, here's my story. And then three quarters of the way through the book, he's like, well, the room that, my, that I'm in is like six feet by eight feet and it's a prison and I'm in prison. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And so the, la- the last bit of the book is him being set up and, and framed by this this white guy who is by Clyde, who's determined to make him look bad and take his power away as as like revenge. Hmm. And it all like there's a very um, a very uh, boardwalk empire sort of moment oh, at the okay. end where uh, there's a there's a young assistant character who is working with the happy campers. And at the end, he sort of comes out of a room and is like, you know, my grandfather was the old man who you kicked out of the, out oh, of the basement no. of the house. And I say it's a Boardwalk Empire thing, mostly for you and not for anybody else, because yeah. nobody watched Boardwalk Empire. But okay. you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know. You know, yeah. does my name seem familiar to you? It's no. it, like he literally does that. That thing. that character <laughs> in the fifth season of Boardwalk Empire is really obnoxious until you grok what's going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. guy kind of sucks until you're like, oh, oh. So yeah, go watch Boardwalk Empire on HBO. <laughs> I think 20, 2009 to 2014 is when that show is on. It's been off for a bit. Yeah. We're having um, a time here. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's most of the, of the book, but, but it's a, but it's a happy ending, you know, but. Oh, really? Happy, happy in its way. Buck is serving eight years for okay. being framed for, for dealing drugs. Oh. Um, because that is the, you know, that is the racially coded crime that Clyde has chosen to frame him for. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you know, he, the, the happy camper organization is, is thriving. Uh, he has reestablished his relationship with his, his girlfriend who he's known for his entire life. Mm. Um, and you know, it ends on a, on a hopeful note. Like I, you know, I'm in prison, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of interviews. I am, I am like helping to pay it forward in the way that I know my mom would have wanted me to. Well, and the the fact that the book does not end with the Happy Campers organization like falling apart or falling into ill repute despite whatever conflict happened, like that is a hopeful or at least forward-looking ending for the book based on what it sounds like a scary poor was interested in when he started writing it. Yeah, right? and I think you it's it's a it could have gone a way where it it depicted the happy campers movement as I don't know if I want to use like Occupy Wall Street or something as a template, but mm, but the sure. thing that I think happens a lot to social movements on the left in particular, where it starts off, and I think this like ha- this happened to the Women's March, that happened to a bunch of organizations where it starts off pretty strong, and then tensions between people way to the left who want to go further and people to the center left who want to try to work more within the system become apparent and then the organization can splinter. That tension does occur in the Happy Camper organization, but they're able to respect each other's viewpoints and sort of and and work together and, and keep 
hmm. the thing together in in the name of like keeping the movement strong. That that's not a it's it's never there's never a moment where the book is like explicitly doing that. I just sort of recognized the, the sure. patterns a little bit and, yeah. and I thought it was an interesting choice to make that the Happy Camper organization does stay together. It does outlast Buck's involved, like direct involvement in it, and I think the that, status quo at the end of the book is that that will continue and yeah, could, that will and continue could become things and whatever. doing good stuff. Yeah, um, and so the last bit of the book is like the it's like the epilogue, also okay. from Buck. Yeah, sure. And it's a, just this little thing that I absolutely love that the book does. Um, so I'm just going to read you this entire paragraph here. Uh, At the beginning of this book, I told you that my aim was to teach you how to sell in order to fix the game, to realize that life comes down to a handful of key negotiations and that you're either selling someone or an amen or or they're selling you on hell no. (laughs) If I taught you something, skills that you can take into your own life to get ahead, I hope you make good on your end of the deal and share this book with someone who needs it. Don't give them your copy. I want you to wear it out, reread your favorite passages and understand the tactics that worked and the choices I made that didn't. Buy your friend a new copy, open up the first page, and write the thing that you wish most for them. For me, what I want most for you is to be free. He's selling you. <laughs> he's making a say he's he's earnestly conveying a sentiment that he wants to express, but also he's saying, buy another copy of this book. <laughs> and he doesn't call attention to it. It's just a thing that he's doing. And I yeah. thought it was a super smooth and and fun way to to end the book and i don't know i i had a lot of fun with this one yeah it's um, it, it's really interesting because i the um the how to make friends and influence people carnegie stuff came up was referenced in one or two articles on this book and we talked about that book and we talked about the problems with that book mm-hmm. and the Carnegie's legacy and and how it's been used by people and this is so interesting just because it is so specifically addressing racial inequality and black people's experience in the workplace particularly well, I mean, in this kind of like startup culture that is supposed to be about like changing the status quo yeah it's like it it is sales as applied to social movements yeah yeah which, that, is, which interesting. is interesting um, I have this quote from him in The Guardian um, where he's kind of responding to the idea of like, okay, but like how do you feel about just advocating for more participation in capitalism as it exists or whatever? I, th- that's not exactly what the interviewer is saying, but um, he says the goal – this is a scare report talking. The goal isn't just to have a load of black and brown people and people who are marginalized work for white dudes and make them more money. That's not the goal. That could be one way though, right? When you go in and learn and create your own business or you stay and get some money and help your own community or you just live a good life. I can't judge people in terms of what they want to do. Uh, he sees Black Buck instead as a cautionary tale. We see Darren all of a sudden chasing this Western white patriarchal form of success and capitalism, and we see how it destroyed the thing that made him different and which made him special. So he's. it does feel like he may have managed to have his cake and eat it too with this book a mm-hmm. little bit, which mm-hmm. is in and of itself impressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, that's a phrase, like you've got to have your cake in the first place to eat it. I guess does it mean like, you it get means to you have get, it and then eat it, but it like the cake is still there after you eat yeah, it. Yeah, it means you want to have cake and all like and to say that you are a special person who has cake and also mm-hmm. eat the cake. Okay, but like but like because eating the cake, I don't know if you're familiar, Andrew, destroys the cake. It like puts it in your body and it's not I there anymore. Right. 
all right, Einstein, this is, that's just science, baby. Yeah, and so you <laughs> want to have the cake. You are famous catchphrase. Uh, you want to have the cake and you want to eat it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that's impossible. Yeah. So except in this case where he, I mean, he metaphorically did it. It's easier to do it with a metaphor because you can't like consume a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how but, much uh, cake he ate when he wrote this book. That didn't come up in any of the interviews. But. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, who knows? Maybe he I, I don't cake. think he mentioned it in the back part of the book either. So does Buck eat any cake? I don't like those cake pops at Starbucks. They weird me out. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember any specific instances of eating cake, but he does eat a few times. And so maybe cake happens. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, next time, make sure you uh, cake I will watch. Ma- I will make note of the cake. Yes. <laughs> Please make note of the cake. Andrew, thanks for telling me about mind, this book. Mind the cake. <laughs> <laughs> Please, someone Photoshop mind the gap into mind the cake for me. <laughs> Um, Andrew, thanks for telling me about this book. We had a weird, goofy episode, but like sometimes that's really fun. And uh, sometimes it's fun. This is either going to be one we get a lot of good tweets about or a lot of bad tweets about. You know, or just silence. God, silence might be the worst. I honestly, I could use some silence. It's okay, but no, really engage with the show. But take a taking a a page from the end of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell people about our podcast. Tell people about our podcast. Unless you live in New York. In Bed-Stuy, Broadway, mm. Little Italy, mm-hmm. the three parts of New York that I'm mm-hmm. aware of. Even if you live in Big Italy, we don't want to hear from you. Why is it called Manhattan? Why not Womanhattan? Am I right? Like a person Hatton. Hey. <laughs> what? You can send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. <laughs> Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. Thanks to Nick Larandis, who composed our theme music. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? If you want to know more about whatever we just did for an hour, you go to overduepodcast.com. It's our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, our RSS feed, other ways you can subscribe to the show, get new episodes when they come out every Monday. Uh, We also have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read if you want to read along with us. We appreciate you clicking those links and buying the book from bookshop.org. It gets us a cut, gets your local independent bookseller a cut, and it gets you a book. It's win, win, win. Patreon.com slash OverduePod is our crowdfunding site. Get bonus episodes early and help us pay for stuff like books and hosting and cake. Yeah. Only cake that we use for work purposes, though. We aren't just like out buying cake. for. We have, a, we have a robust office culture with a lot of cake-related expenses. A lot of cake, a lot of nicknames, a lot of hazing. It's really pretty a pretty toxic. And it's pretty expensive, so please it's really, subscribe it's phenomenally. Patreon. Yes. Next week, I am reading The Widows of Malabar Hill by Suyata Masi. Uh, I think Laura already read it for her book club. Uh, well, maybe I should have her on the show. What What are you here for? I don't know, but I'm going to ask her questions. I mentioned it, and she said that she had read it. So expect, okay. expect maybe I'll bring some Laura takes. No, you should. I'll see what be I a can new do. segment. Burn like three or four minutes on that. Heck yeah! All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this <laughs> this teetering stack of sentences that we've said to you (laughs) and until we talk to you again next week please try to be happy
That was a HeadGum Podcast.